Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome into another edition of the podcast, Heel Tough Blog Podcast. That is, I got thrown off by Josh doing a very on-point impression of Jim Nance and Tony Romo. That was pretty spot on. You guys missed that, unfortunately. Uh, but tonight, you're not going to miss any of our recap of tonight of uh, this past weekend's game in Keenan Stadium between the Tar Heels and the Virginia Cavaliers. We're going to run you through all that great stuff tonight. Talk about uh, Carolina's uh, you know early lead, their ability to somehow give it up, and their ability to fight back and win the game. They pretty much had to win this game twice, uh, but they did. Carolina with uh, their first win over Virginia in five years. We're going to break all that down for you tonight. We'll also uh, you know, take a look at uh, some of the storylines that come out of the game and hand out our player of the game uh, before we will officially turn and start looking towards the game against Georgia Tech. That, of course, will be in our next podcast for you, but we'll tell you a couple other things to keep an eye out on the website over the next couple of days uh, on the recruiting front as well. But uh, first of all, Carolina, as we mentioned, gets the win, so that means that they move up to 21st in the AP poll, uh, but do fall somehow from 19th to 20th in the coaches' poll. Um, you know, what What are your initial takeaways of this game? Because I'm going to be honest, this was pretty much the exact same game that we've seen against this team over the last couple of years. It's just that in the second half, Carolina turned up their their defense, uh, you know, turned it up to another level and stepped up to make some plays when they really needed to to be able to win the game. Um, it was a great game. Um, and it started because the environment in Keenan Stadium – was as electric as it's been since Mac Brown returned. I'd put it right up there with that Miami environment from two years ago. The Clemson environment that year as well was really good. Um, but I think that was a big part of why Carolina got off to such a you know the twenty-four to seven lead because they were feeding off of that energy, that emotion inside the stadium. And but once once everything settled in, 
you saw what Virginia was going to do, which Virginia had – they didn't hide. They were going to come in and try to throw the football on you, and they did because they've done it the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the whole thing was would Carolina make the adjustments? We've had our issues with Jay Bateman. He had his issues Saturday night. He's gotten much better at making those adjustments at halftime. Carolina made the correct adjustments. Virginia did not. And in that second half, you know, Mac Brown's been saying we're trying to find an identity, an identity. I think they found it in that second half, running the football and making every, and wearing down Virginia. Um, I think they had like 10 guys that would be helped off the field. We had a you know, historic amount of uh, official timeouts in that second half. And I thought we were the soft team, or that's what we were told coming into the game. But it was, you know, you look on the surface, and Virginia's 2-0, and but they're not a ranked team. But it was still a really big game for Carolina for this year and for the program. And it, you just felt really good leaving the stadium Saturday night. I mean, I, I thought th- this was a win. I mean, let, first of all, let's walk you through the win for Carolina. Well, you know, they, they got out to a really quick start. They score three touchdowns in the first quarter. Uh, two to Josh Downs, one to Choffrey Brown, and all of them 37 yards or more. Uh, and Sam Howell was just on early on in the game. I read you his first quarter stats. Uh, four of five, 182 yards passing and three touchdowns. Yeah. That's not too bad out of the gate. Is that good? For him. Uh, and it, Carolina would add a Grayson Atkins field goal. They scored 24 in the first half. And at one point, they were up 24-7. to seven. But Virginia drives down, cuts the lead to 24-14. to 14. Carolina drives all the way back down the field again, but... Sam Howell, ill-advised throw in the red zone. And that's really what changed that first half to give Virginia the lead at halftime. And that was, I think, where Carolina fans were just sitting there saying to themselves, look, even at that point, you had run the ball pretty well. Mm -hmm. You had been able to move the ball up and down the field pretty much at will. Yet somehow you were still trailing at halftime to a team that you just cannot, you could not find a way to beat these last few years. So I think there was a lot of frustration in the building. Um, I mean, when the guys came out of the locker room at halftime, there were some cheers, but there weren't a whole lot of them. And you could tell that there was a little bit of uneasiness. But the second half response, I think, was something that, and somebody said this to me today, and I'm I'm interested to hear what you have to think. Do you think, uh, somebody said to me, there's no way that comeback happens last year. What do you think on that? That's a... uh... That's a pretty damning statement because last year's team, we believe, was better because you had four NFL players on that offense. You had Chas Surratt on that defense. I don't know. I would probably say – I think I have to say yes because didn't I stress all offseason about the, the doubts about this program moving forward was that they were losing games they should have that they should have won and winning games that – you know, they, you weren't surprised that they won, but had they lost, you wouldn't have been overly surprised as well. And I think that's the thing that you were sitting there thinking when Sam Howell threw the interception. And, um, you know, I heard today on locals radio, you know, that's just who he is. That's not who he is because he didn't make that play his freshman year. He didn't make that play – it last year, I still think at that point in time, he felt like he had to make that play mm-hmm. to put Carolina in a situation to win the football game. I think after the second half, I think he could sit back and realize, I've got guys around me that can make plays. 
we knew that all summer. We hadn't seen it on film against an opponent, but now he's seeing him showing up in the game. So now he has more confidence in those said guys. But I would have to say, yeah, I, th- I think Carolina would have found some Carolina way to lose this game last year, which makes this win a little bit more sweeter. Well, let's take a look at the box score in this one and just how crazy of a night it was for Carolina. Second straight game that Carolina goes over 600 yards <laughs> of total offense. This one, 699 yards of total offense. 392 yards on the ground, 307 yards passing through the air for Carolina. Uh, One interesting stat that I noticed, uh, first downs, Carolina had 35 of them, 21 of them were on the ground. So that's something that you're much, much more used to over the last couple of years than what we've seen here in the first few weeks. On the other side, Virginia, pretty good night as well, 574 yards of total offense. They had just 21 yards on the ground, which was a huge difference in this game, especially from a year ago, but did have 553 yards passing through the air. Uh, Carolina on uh, first down. uh, The average gain for Carolina on first down plays, so much different than the first few weeks. Uh, First few weeks, it was somewhere, I believe, in and around three yards per, uh, per, per first down play. This time, 9.3. So much, much better. That's one area that they really needed to improve. They were 6 of 7 in the red zone in this game, as opposed to Virginia, who was just 4 of 6 in the red zone. So those are some of the areas where Carolina had a lot of success. Also, 7 of 9 on third down attempts to Virginia's 8 of 14. When you go to the individual player statistics, uh, we'll take a look at at Virginia guys first. And I mean, look, you got to start with their quarterback, Brennan Armstrong you got to give him a ton of credit. He's a heck of a football player. He's a guy that has taken major steps uh, from last offseason. I mean, remember last year, there was a point where Dabo Sweeney compared him to Steve Young. And most of us thought to ourselves, what is this guy on? I'm not saying he's Steve Young, but this is this is a heck of a young quarterback with Phil Dracovic currently out for the season in the ACC, I would say he might be the third best quarterback in this conference. I think it's either him or Sam Hartman. I mean, you saw right now, today, the two best quarterbacks playing in the ACC Saturday night. I think DJU can certainly enter that discussion if he turns it around. Sam Hartman is going to be in that discussion as well because he's he's just a really solid quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's a lot like Brennan Armstrong where he's not going to beat your team in terms of the team he plays for. Um, he's going to stay back in that pocket and make throws. That was a lot of fun to watch those two dudes go up and down the field Trying to, it's pretty much matching score for score because they. Well, knew, I would have preferred the defense to play a little bit. Yeah, better, but it was it was a lot of fun, and you know, for you, a guy that crapped on Brennan Armstrong all off all, all off season, um, was upset about the guy that outdueled Sam Howe that had to kind of bring that up during the summer as well. Now you got to kind of suck some of that back up, but. You know, I heard some Virginia people talking. His performance last year against Carolina really turned it around, and it's what kind of made Bronco Mendenhall become not you know this form of air raid offense. So it'll be interesting to see how he builds up with this performance because he played great, but he lost. 
Well, I mean, he's played this good in the first three games of the year. And, I mean, you're right. I, in the offseason, I looked at him and said, I think he's kind of what Kenny Pickett has been in this conference, a guy that a lot of people have talked about. But how good really is he? No, he he's definitely proven that he is a guy that – I mean, he's taken steps forward. And this is something that a lot of guys can do. I just – I wondered if he would be a guy that would kind of be – I mean, Bryce Perkins was kind of that guy that was a real steady force but was never a guy that really took a significant step forward. Brennan Armstrong last year, he was a he was a solid quarterback a year ago. That was a guy that I looked at that game and said, how did Carolina get beat by him? I if they would have lost this game last year, or if they would, or if he would have played this well last year and they would have lost, you'd sit there and say to yourself, "Well, this dude's just killing it. This dude's just a stud." Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's got to get his credit. 30, 39 of fifty four, five hundred and fifty four yards, four touchdowns, one interception, uh, and I mean, he had three hundred and sixty three passing yards in the first half. I mean, this dude was on fire. Uh, their receiving core was phenomenal. Um, Dontavian Wicks. Seven catches, 183 yards, and a touchdown. He is a heck of a player. He's a really good guy, a, a number one option for them. He's only a sophomore, too. So he's a guy Carolina's going to have to deal with a lot over the next couple of years. Uh, the veteran, Billy Kemp, Carolina really couldn't find a way to slow him down. He did a lot of his damage after the catch. Eight carries, 106 yards, two touchdowns for him. I mean, there were just a bunch of guys that Carolina really couldn't find a way to slow down, and we'll talk about that. But I think the big difference in this game, you look at the rushing numbers for Virginia, just 21 rushing yards on 22 carries in this game. And one of the main reasons that they struggled is that Brennan Armstrong last year ran for 66 yards against the Tar Heels on 20 carries. In this game, he had eight carries, and they were for negative 16 yards. So Carolina did a, 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 just a so much better job against him this time. None of their other running backs uh, really had any success. Uh, to be fair, they didn't really carry the ball all that much. I mean, their starting running back, Wayne Talapapa, carried the ball twice in the entire game. So they went they went full air raid, uh, and Carolina did a good job of countering that. You look at the Carolina side of things, Sam Howell, 14 of 21, uh, 307 yards, five touchdowns, just the one interception. Uh, that Definitely an intercept, a bad interception, and it sucks because outside of that play, he pretty much played a perfect game. I mean, yeah. that was one of the best games of his entire career. I would probably put that up there with the game against Wake Forest last year. Yeah. Um, he was just awesome. Uh, and that big play threat, you know, reappeared for Carolina. Receiving wise, Josh Downs, eight catches, 203 yards on nine targets, two touchdowns for him. Joffrey Brown, one catch, 75 yards and a touchdown. No other Tar Heel receiver over 15 yards receiving in this game. Garrett Walston did have three catches for 15 yards and a touchdown now. Uh, so a good night for him. On the ground, Carolina, as we mentioned, a lot of success. Ty Chandler, 20 carries, 198 yards, two touchdowns, 9.9 yards per carry. Sam Howe, 15 carries, 112 yards. Uh, did not score a touchdown in this game, but once again, over 100 yards on the ground, over 300 yards through the air. Uh, he becomes just the second quarterback since 2004 to do that. The only other one to do that was 2016 Heisman winner Lamar Jackson. Uh, also in the 
the backfield. Caleb Hood, nine carries, 66 yards, and a touchdown, 7.3 yards per carry for him. And even Josh Henderson had some nice run in there. Uh, he got a short stint, three carries, 16 yards, uh, and 5.3 yards per carry. Also had uh, one of the more impressive runs of the night. Uh, and then on the defensive side of things, Don Chapman led the team with seven total tackles in the game. Also had a pass breakup. Cedric Gray in his first game, uh, starting at linebacker, six tackles, uh, five of which were solo and a pass breakup. Jaquarius Conley, he had another nice night. Five total tackles for him, had an interception and a quarterback hit. And Kamen Rucker, another tremendous night, definitely a guy that has to be shouted out. Plenty of other great performances, uh, but Kamen Rucker's where we'll wrap it up. Five total tackles, two tackles for loss, two sacks, and a forced fumble. A tremendous yeah. night for the man that they call the Butcher. So let's get into uh, looking at some of the storylines here. I think, first of all, you know, I said this to you when we were in the stadium. Carolina's offense has kind of hit their stride here. Uh, we were wondering how long it would take, and that first game of the year, I think, concerned a lot of people. A lot of people overreacted and said, look, they've got so much to replace, it's probably going to take a while. Uh, I think that that first game of the year was just them trying to figure some things out, figure out the guys that were going to be major contributors, but I feel like at this point, uh, you know, it definitely helps that some of the units performed a lot better, but it feels like just as a whole, this offense is much more confident in itself, and they're starting to get into the that rhythm that they're going to need because I know that people are thinking that this defense still has a chance to take a step forward and I, I think there's still a lot of things to like about this defense but to win games in college football right now your offense has to be able to put up points yeah and I think we knew going into the year they were going to do or they were they were going to score points and I thought all offseason long the production would come I thought it wouldn't come this quickly especially when you go back and you look at how bad Carolina was at Virginia Tech and they were bad like Virginia Tech you, you gave them we gave them the credit they did a lot of things right but there's a lot of things that Carolina just did awful and in two short weeks they've cleaned a lot of that up it's no mistake that um it's because of their ability to run the football it makes life easier on sam howell um it makes it harder to defend a josh downs to now all of a sudden that 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 safety steps up in the box and you hit choffrey brown he only has to break one tackle to get a touchdown has seven to break you know five six seven tackles phil longo's game plan the other night was as good as I think as I've seen it. And I think Phil Longo has gotten his criticism in his now three years in Chapel Hill. And there's been some deserved criticism because of how bad the offense has been in the red zone. Um, but that didn't look the case the other night. I think they did a good job. Mac Brown said after the Georgia State game, they had to figure out and isolate the players that were going to get the majority of the snaps. I think to right now they have done that. They're still trying to get healthy with the Bo Corrales, hopefully working himself back from injury in the near future. They've got their nucleus of guys, and those guys right now are producing at the level that we expect them to and we need them to. Yeah, I, I mean, exactly. I think that, uh, I mean, there, there's still some areas where I think they need another receiver, I think, to consistently step up. I, I think that's – and I'm glad you, you kind of got that because I think that's a, a point that you got to – we got to discuss. Josh Downs is spectacular. and Definitely. It, you know, he's going to put up monster numbers, but there's going to be a team down the, down the road, whether it's a Notre Dame or whoever, that's going to find a way to – you can't take him away. He's too explosive. But to lessen – To slow the, him down yeah. at least a little bit. Yeah, yeah. To lessen oh, the yeah. amount of explosive plays he's capable of producing. 
Um, Carolina needs more from a Choffrey Brown. Um, you need more from an Emory Simmons when Emory Simmons gets targeted the football. Um, you know, and, Antone Green kind of disappeared Anton after a Green big week last week. And so I, I guess the big question is, is it twofold? The fact that they were just so dialed in with what they like, the matchup-wise with downs, or was it simply the fact that in the second half they didn't have to throw the football and they were just able to line up and run the ball and it limited the passing opportunities for other guys to get targets. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, my thing is, is uh, you're not going to go away from something that's working. And you mean, should. Clear, clearly, you're not going to go away from Josh Downs. He's too dynamic with the football in his hands. I mean, the other night, I- I'm going to be honest, he looked like a guy that got drafted in the first round last year in Kadarius Tony, where every time he touched the football, I remember that from Tony last year of Florida. Every time that guy touched the football, it was touchdown. It was or huge. Something. It was a huge play, and that was exactly what we saw from Josh Downs the other night. So you're not if they're not stopping it, you're not going to go away from it. It doesn't make sense to go away from it. You're this is a game that we hammered home all week on the podcast in the articles, just talking amongst ourselves and amongst fans when we were in the stadium, you have to win this game. Yes. So they weren't going to just go away from that and say, well, we got we to gotta find ways to get other guys the football. Um, I, I think, yeah, that's definitely something they've got to be that, – that's one area where they're still looking for some solutions. And, I mean, look, the other area that they are is the offensive line. But I'm going to tell you, this was the most promise that this offensive line has shown all year. And you were without three of your regular starters. Yeah. Now, look, is there – I mean, especially with Joshua Zudu, do you have to find a way to work him back in somewhere – Probably. I, to be honest, I'd probably put him back at left tackle. But right now, I don't know about you, there are some serious conversations that need to be happening in that offensive line room because guys like Ed Montillas and William Barnes, they looked really good the other night, and they may have looked good than the, uh, better than the guys that were in those positions in the first couple of weeks to start the season off. You know, I, I wrote that in the trench report that, you know, look, some of it is bad luck and guys were out hurt, but Mac Brown has stressed since he got here we want to have eight to ten reliable guys in an offensive line group. He said this year he felt like he had that. And look, you, after the first two year or after the first two games, you're probably evaluating everything from how that offensive line played because it was you should it, it wasn't good in the opener, and you didn't dominate Georgia State the way you anticipated your offensive line dominating an inferior opponent. You put in three new guys in the offensive line, and Carolina's offensive line looked as good as it did last year when it did whatever it wanted to, whenever it wanted to, um, for the majority of the season. So I think you're having to have some hard conversations. That yeah, you've got maybe seniority at this guy with this position and Joshua Azuda you might be your best offensive lineman but where does he fit with the guys that played last night if they come out this week and play well again because you can't you don't want to disrupt what you have going for you right now right because I agree with you know you're trying to compete to win an ACC coastal championship in this division after what happened this week with Miami losing Virginia Tech losing it's wide open you can have you can you got another ACC game this weekend you can take a stranglehold of the of the top spot in the division but so you got to be mindful and careful but I want to see those five guys out there on the field next Saturday. I think they got to be out there at least in some capacity. I mean, look, I think that if Joshua Zudu's healthy, he's probably going to play. Yeah. Um, I think if Brian Anderson's fully healthy, there's a chance that that he probably plays. <laughs> but, but hasn't Carolina looked better with him on the sidelines than with him at center? 
I I mean, if he's in that, if he's there fully healthy in that game against Virginia Tech, I think he looks better than Q Johnson does in his first game on the road. I this is the thing. I think they played very well the other night. I think that they deserve an opportunity. There needs to be competition in practice, and there needs to be looks at these guys early on in the game against Georgia Tech, and maybe even going you know into the game against Duke. The thing, you, you do have to caution yourself not to put stock just into this one game. Like, let's say they come out there and they struggle in this game against Georgia Tech. Okay, well, you can't say, well, they looked good against Virginia, so we're going to keep rolling these guys out here. Is it a who's hot, who's not approach with your offensive lineman? I mean, at this point, <laughs> it may be. I mean, because, look, they, they actually, at one point in the game, put Joshua Zudu and Jordan Tucker back in. And it didn't look as smooth. There were some mistakes, and they just it didn't look right. They went back to the guys that were there to start the night, and things sort of readjusted themselves. So, Which kind of makes you believe that there's going to be some open competition this definitely. week in practice. That's what I'm thinking. And, I mean, look, I think, you know, you, you look at – the reason I said that I think Azudu's got a real good chance is because you look, if you look at his grades in the first game against Virginia Tech playing at left tackle, that was probably Carolina's best – left tackle grades that they've had since Charlie Heck. So I think you've got to take a look at him there because, I mean, at this point, that might be your best offensive line in, in, in my mind, would be Azudu at left tackle, Montillas at left guard. And again, that's another guy you got to kind of monitor him because he's a little hot and cold. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, so far this year, when he's been in the game, he's been great. He's Him and Marcus McKeithen have been right up there when it's come to run blocking situation. They have both been tremendous. They pull block extremely well. Um, right now, I mean, with the way that Brian Anderson looked in that game against Georgia State, I'd probably still lean Q Johnson at center. Yeah. Uh, McKeithen clearly at right guard. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think Jordan Tucker's done some good things for you. I think right now you'd probably have to ride William Barnes and see what he can give you out there because even even on that right side of the offensive line, they were much better the other night when he was there as opposed to when Tucker came in. So I think right now if I'm Stacey Searles, that's the group I'm rolling out against Georgia Tech, and let's see what these guys have. I, but I think you're definitely going to see more rotation, and to be honest with you, that's not a bad thing. No. So I, I think that's something that we've definitely got to keep an eye on. Another thing that we got to keep an eye on is, is Sam Howell starting to maybe creep back onto some of those Heisman boards? I mean, clearly he's not up there with Bryce Young. He's not up there with Matt Corral. But I think right now with these back-to-back tremendous performances, he is at least kind of, I'm not going to say wiped away that Virginia Tech game, but it's hard to deny just how special these last two games have been for him. And I'm starting to think that, look, if Carolina runs the table, which is possible, believe it or not, because of just how bad the rest of the ACC is at this point, is there a chance that he could get himself back into the Heisman conversation if he can keep playing as well as he's playing? Because right now, he's playing he's playing out of this world. I would think so um, because he's putting up the gaudy numbers that he was going to have to put up anyway to give himself a realistic shot at the Heisman. It doesn't help that you know JT Daniels hasn't looked great, and granted he hasn't had to because they got the best defense in the country. Uh, Spencer Radler didn't look great the other day against Nebraska. You look at the guys at Ohio State; they're 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 lost to Oregon. They kind of for you know this kind of taking them out of the running because that's how it works. 
Um, so I think as long as Carolina's winning and he's doing what he's doing, I think he I think he'll have a shot. Um, the, the the thing is, is that he it never affected him that the the Virginia Tech loss took him out of the Heisman running. He's just showed back up to work. He's getting back into the same old Sam Howell. So I think he, he likes it better. To be honest, I I I know that he's a guy that prides himself on not being affected by those moments. And to, I mean, prior to that, it was rare that those moments got to him. But I I wonder if. That moment kind of got to him, especially with how bad his offensive line played in front of him and his receivers did, where he just he just tried forcing things and just tried to take the game over because he knew that I've got big-time expectations to be in the Heisman race and I need to do something. It's natural. You live in the world that we live in now where there's constant, constant media coverage. Mm-hmm. Everybody and their mother hyped up Sam Howell from the moment the the, the spring started getting us ready for the upcoming college football season. My mom thought he was going to win the high. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, so it, it, it was only natural for him to maybe have a, a moment like deer in the headlights type of moment. It's how you respond is how you, you we really think about you and how we're going to, you know, uh, remember you moving forward. He's responded in the most Sam Howell fashion ways, but I, I would not be surprised if we enter November and Carolina's back in the New Year's Six Bowl position if Sam Howe is a legitimate Heisman threat. Well, he's definitely got a lot of help. I mean, you look at Josh Downs. He becomes the third straight Tar Heel wide receiver to have 200 or more receiving yards against Virginia. De'Ami Brown did it back-to-back years. That's just nuts. Unfortunately for De'Ami, he didn't win either of those games somehow. Uh, Josh Downs, a little bit more uh, lucky in, in, in his pursuit uh, with the 200 yards in this game. Uh, the thing that was so interesting about his, I mean, he did it after the catch. This dude is unbelievable. He is di- as dynamic as it gets. I think now the question is, I, this, this is a two-part question because I, I, I talked about this in my recap of the game with some of my takeaways. I think right now he's the best wide receiver in the ACC, right? I yes. don't think there's any question. Yes. I, I know Justin Ross is a heck of a player. I know that Justin Joseph Ross's Gata, quarterback can't give him the football. I, I mean, I know both of those guys are very talented. Uh, I know that Jaquari Roberson is a talented wide receiver at Wake Forest. To me, I think Josh Downs is the best receiver right now in the ACC. Very clearly the best, without a doubt at least, easily the best receiver in the ACC Coastal, and it's not even close. I think the other question is, is I, I, he at this point, it's hard to not see him landing on an All-American team, right? I don't think he's going to be first team because of the guys, mainly because I think Ohio State may have all three first-teamers out there. But, he, I mean, he's in that range right now because this, this start to the season for Josh Towns is just unbelievable. Yeah, making an All-American team, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot because you got Olave and Wilson with Ohio State. You go down to Bama, they got Mechie. They've got um, is it James- Jameson Williams. Jameson yep. Williams. Oklahoma has Mario Williams. I don't know if there's any relations um, between those two guys. Well, he had three catches for 29 yards the other day. But so it, not, I mean, not he, he's also like a, a legitimate number one wide receiver. But I mean, I wouldn't put it out of the question. Right. Because he has the ability to, and I think this is something that you know talking about with Phil Longo and the and the and you talked about this all week one was where was the quick passing game? They got yep. that going. It starts with Josh Downs where it's just they flick the ball to him and it's go make a play. 
He's as capable as anybody in the country at taking a two, three-yard pass play and taking it 60 yards to the house because he did it the other night weaving in and out of traffic. And you have so many guys that can do that. Like, look at the play to Choffrey Brown that was the touchdown. Right. Like, that wasn't a bomb that they threw over the top. The bomb they threw to him, he dropped. Like, uh, that's the thing. you're you're going to have to take your shots. I understand that. I still want that big play element to this offense. But especially early in games and when your offensive line is struggling, you have to find ways to get the ball out quicker. And it cannot take you three games into the season to realize that. Because when they did it early in this game, Virginia didn't know how to react because the athletes that Carolina has at the position, as you would expect with how they've recruited the wide receiver positions, is top-notch. These dudes know how to make plays. And for a guy like Emory Simmons even, who has kind of struggled at times holding on to the football, He struggled to create separation. Some of those shorter routes where you can even run some of the routes that create natural picks to get him open, you're talking about a guy that you were saying in the fall was running 21, 22 miles an hour. Why not get him the ball on those short routes and let him go to work? Yeah, but in terms of Downs becoming an All-American, I think you know he's probably got to get to 1,500 receiving yards and 12 to 14 touchdowns. Well, I'm going to tell you. And he's on pace to do that. That's, That's what's scary. I mean, is that those it's numbers real? Those numbers are not out of the question for him. Though the connection that him and Sam Howell have, yeah, he is just off to a tremendous start. He was one of those guys that I just wondered to myself, man, this guy has so much hype around him. How is it possible for him to live up to that hype? And he's done that, and maybe even more. I mean, I wasn't worried because Mac Brown said if there wasn't a guy named Daz Newsom on the roster last year, Downs would have started. So, well, I was more worried about the fact that teams were going to key in on him. But I'm going to be honest with you. I still think there's ways to get him the football with the screenplays and everything. And he's dynamic enough to make things happen because there were multiple times the other night where guys were, I mean, right in his vicinity, and he found ways to make a miss and create big plays. There's got to become a time and a formation, which Carolina ran a funky one the other night, where you just line him up in the back foot and hand him the football, right? And then you just throw another wrinkle, like use him like a Percy Harvin. Look, can he beat you down the field? Yeah. Is this route running really good to be a sophomore? It is. Can he just take a a screenplay and go to the house? Yes. The more ways you can touch, he can touch the football, it's going to make your offense that that much more dynamic and that much harder to defend. Yeah, I mean, look, I think they could go to that. I'm I'm hesitant. I know it's a different coaching staff, but we heard that how many years with Ryan Switzer? They never did it. Downs is a better player than Ryan Switzer. Uh, Yeah, I think that Switzer could have been used in that role too. I think that Josh Downs has the benefit of a better offensive mind as well. He's got a guy, I think, at Phil Longo that's willing to be more creative with what he does than Larry Fedora. Because we heard that for years with Larry. We're going to put Ryan in the backfield. Ryan was a running back in high school. We'll have formations for him. He never did that. He caught a few jet sweeps. Other than that, they never really used him in that fashion, and I thought they should have used him more. I I think if you see teams start to try to take him away, there's no doubt Phil Longo's going to say, look, man, we got to get it in this kid's hands no matter how we do it. So uh, that's why it's so big, though, that some of these other guys emerge. One guy that emerged in this game was Ty Chandler. Uh, Career game for Ty. 20 carries, 198 yards, two touchdowns. I think we saw... 
everything that Mac Brown talked about with him in the offseason. You saw a guy that, when he got into the open field, was dynamic, had really good quickness, had some good speed, could fly. Uh, and then you saw a guy that, at other times, would lower his shoulder and run like he was running against Florida or Georgia. It, it looked like a guy that had played in the FCC, in the SEC and showed some toughness. That's the running back that I think a lot of people thought they were getting. Now, look. The offensive line play in the first couple of weeks wasn't all that great. I think that there was also a little bit of hesitancy from Ty Chandler out of the gate. I don't think he was as decisive as he was the other night. This was a great game from Ty Chandler, and I don't know about you, I'm feeling pretty encouraged about the graduate transfer from Tennessee with what we saw from him the other night. That's the Ty Chandler we expected to get when he transferred in. And look, are you going to run for 198 yards and two touchdowns on 20 carries? every week I hope so the chances are no we would love for you to be able to but what we didn't see the first two weeks was the explosiveness the physicality in the running game being able to break tackles lower his shoulder and I think that was the thing was that the second that he lowered his shoulder and he ran through a Virginia guy or two the whole team just fed off of that because it showed you that he you know he's bringing that physicality after being look if he wouldn't have been physical, you wouldn't have been upset. He wasn't on this Tar Heel team that got called soft by Mandy Alonzo. But I think that resonated throughout the locker room. And he just he just ran hard. And it was a lot like Javante Williams last year that the second Javante Williams would run through somebody, well, then Michael Carter would run through somebody or someone else would run through somebody. And that's how this team did. All of a sudden, Sam Howell's having taken four guys to tackle Sam Howell. Caleb Hood ran hard. Josh Henderson running hard. It became contagious and infectious. And look, you're not going to run for 392 yards week in, week out. But if they can get that some, that level of production they got in the second half and they're wearing teams down, they're going to go a long way. Well, we're giving you our takeaways from the game against Virginia. We want to hear from you guys. What were some of your takeaways from the Tar Heels' 59-39 win over the Cavaliers? And, you know, back on Ty Chandler, I, I thought, I, I mean, yeah, he was phenomenal. And it kind of, like you said, it rubbed off on the rest of the backfield. Especially. I know it rubbed off on us in the stands because we were losing our mind running over Virginia Yeah, players. I may or may not have run through a Tar Heel child in the stands uh, <laughs> from that. But, I mean – uh, no, I, I I thought Caleb Hood looked really good. And that was another guy against Georgia State. It was just a guy that looked like a freshman, didn't look all that confident in himself. And, and, and that's part of it. And again, offensive line play wasn't as good as it was the other night. Yep. In this game, he looked very confident. He was running through guys. I mean, his touchdown, he just ran over a defender and rolled into the end zone. I mean, he he looked really good, and that's the guy that we thought we were going to see when we heard about him coming in, when we heard about you know Mac Brown raving with what, uh, about what he saw from him in the fall. And that's the guy that we looked at and said, this guy's going to take number two reps in this backfield. He looked really, really good because I'm going to be honest, coming into the game, you know, clearly didn't think Ty Chandler was going to do what he was going to do. And DJ Jones also didn't play in this game. Kind of worried. I was a little concerned. Yeah. Caleb Hood eased those concerns a lot. And I think that there's a lot to like about it. And you said it. I, there's a chance that this guy could be a really, really special running back because you saw him, you know, again, 
good mix of speed and power. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to be Javante Williams. I think that's who everybody's going to want to compare running backs to over the next couple of years. Look, Javante Williams is, I mean, a once-in-a-generation guy. Javante Williams was what we thought Caleb Hood, or Caleb, what we thought Elijah Hood was going to be all four years that he was there. Uh, I don't know if Caleb Hood's going to be on that level, but I can tell you one thing. If he runs like he did the other night, there's no doubt he's going to be a part of that backfield for the yeah. next few years. Yes. Uh, and then you head over to the defensive side of the ball. Some young stars really stood out there. Uh, th- there were some. Uh, th- we'll get to the bad here in a minute, but let's talk about the good. The second year guys really stood out in this game. It's and it was one guy at each level. Jaquarius Conley. This guy's just a monster. I mean, he was playing with one hand, pulled down another interception, which. I mean, for him to go up and make this play on the ball, remember Mac Brown questioning this team on 50-50 balls in week one? Uh, that was a 50-50 ball, and Jaquarius Conley almost jumped out of the stadium to make that interception with one hand, uh, which Jones Angel made very well known that he did it with one hand. <laughs> Jones was having himself a night. You got to love it. But he made a spectacular play. He also had a couple of really nice tackles in open space. Uh, he looked fantastic. Cedric Gray at the linebacker position, we were both a little stunned when we saw the news in pregame that he was starting over Eugene Asante, but I think we both thought the same thing. This isn't the most outlandish thing because Asante hasn't looked great and Cedric looked pretty good the yeah, other day. Yeah, my bold prediction of him leading the team in tackles and eclipsing 115, not off to a hot start. Well, to September. be fair, I mean, Jeremiah Gimmel, solid night the other night, five tackles, all solos, and a tackle for loss. Uh, he's not looking like he's going to be quite uh, the guy that I thought he was going to be <laughs> either. Um, but you know what? That's okay. He's the senior leader for the Tar Heels. He still plays a significant role. And, I mean, look, I, Asante still played uh, some significant reps the other night. He had three tackles himself. But Cedric Gray looked really good the other night. That was a guy that did not look phased at all starting his first game. And I'm going to tell you, that play that he made in the end zone uh, in – was that in the third or was that in the fourth? I am not remembering which one. I'm trying to think of the direction that Virginia – it was in the third because Virginia was coming towards us where we were in the stands. And in the fourth, Virginia was going away from us. Um, he was matched up with a receiver and made the best play uh, on the football when it was in the air outside of Jaquarius Conley of anybody all night. And I'm talking about all of the corners because they couldn't play the football to save their life the other night. Yes. We'll get into that in just a second. But this guy, I mean, he looked I, – I, I'm going to be honest. When he was dropping back, I thought it was Conley. He made a play on the ball. I was like, who was that? Oh, it's Cedric Gray making that play. That's one thing that Jay Bateman talked about when he was – focusing on him late in the fall as a guy that had emerged was that he's such an athletic guy that he can be the guy that can get after the passer, that can you know go inside on a gap assignment and take away a gap on a run play, or he's a guy that can drop back into coverage for you and make plays in coverage against wide receivers. I thought he looked tremendous. And then Kamen Rucker, he started the game – I don't want to see anybody else starting a game besides Kamen Rucker on that defensive line I'm, it, it, at that position the rest of the season. Just one defensive lineman, Kamen Rucker? Well, you need – look, the other positions you might want to mess with, Kamen Rucker, it, it, he has done – any time that you put him in in his first two years, he's making plays. 
I don't care what his star rating is. I don't care if he might look undersized, whatever. This dude needs to play as much as he possibly can because he's a hell of a player. I mean, he was all over the field the other night. He disengages uh, you know, blocks as, as well as anybody on that defensive yes. line. And he was the one guy that I thought gave you some sort of legitimate pass rush for the majority of the night. I mean, Timon Fox had a pretty solid night as well. But I thought Kamen Rucker was the guy. He finished the deal when he got into that backfield twice. And all three of these guys, I thought were just, they played phenomenal and they need to play as much as possible going forward. I totally agree everything that you just said. Um, Kamen Rucker just has the ability to make plays no matter the situation that he's put in, no matter how undersized he may appear, well, no matter what his star rating was coming out of high school, he's a gamer. He, he's he's always prepared when he gets sent into the game. Was really excited to see him get the start. If you could get that type of energy and production, this defensive line, um, this defense would take the next step that we needed to take, and it would shore up some things on the back end, like Cedric Gray as well. Like you said, when the starting lineups came through, we were kind of like, ooh, okay. Credit the staff for making adjustments and and trying something different, not just sticking with the status quo. Well, this is our guy, and it's going to get worked out. They didn't do that. They made a change they thought was going to make the defense better. And, you know, even though you gave up 39 points and 574 yards, you could see some plays that he made that maybe Eugene Asante wouldn't have played. And then for Jaquarius Conley, um, I'm probably going to sound a little whack saying this. The man's just a dog. He just makes plays. Like, I, he could have two clubs on his hands. He could look like Chubbs from um, Happy Gilmore, and he'd still be out there making tackles, <laughs> intercepting. Wooden, wooden hand picking it off. You know, inter- intercepting balls, whatever. He He's etching his name into that defensive back uh, defensive backfield lore that Carolina fans are falling in love with. Uh, you know, you're going to think about a Dre Bly. You're going to think about a Charles ba- Brown, Kendrick Burney. You're going to be thinking about Jaquarius Collins in the same breath if he keeps this level of play up. Uh, in this no doubt, next no few doubt. Years. And that's the thing is that it's just his second year with the team. Now, I mean, if he keeps playing at this level, we might have to be concerned about him leaving after three years. That would just be rude. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, speaking of rude, uh, the rude boys outside of Conley, not their greatest night. No. Uh, Conley was even burned on a deep one, actually, at one point. Um, I, I mean, I just wrote down here. I'm, I'm just going to ask, what is the issue with this pa- with, with the pass defense in this game? And is it something that concerns you long term? It's got to because teams – that want to – you're going to face teams like Wake Forest that their M.O. is to throw the football. They're going to attack you. They're going to challenge you vertically, horizontally uh, horizontally as well. Now, you um, had it right the yeah, first Yeah, I did. I butchered it trying to uh, correct it. I think it's twofold. I'm not an X and O's guy. I'm not in the film room. It appears to me that when Carolina rushes the passer – and I pointed this out to you, especially on a pass rush from Des Evans. They take themselves out of the field, out of the play, because they, they get so far upfield that the offensive lineman can just push them, and now they're out of the play. Now, Definitely maybe, happened a couple times. Maybe yep. the, the mindset and the thinking is, 
is they do that to make the pocket collapse and there's going to be someone there waiting at the middle of the field. The problem is, is that's not happening. So whatever pass rush that you think you're gaining by getting so far upfield and you're trying to bend back into the play, it's not happening. So one thing with that I'm wondering is, is that was that something that was scouted out about Armstrong last year and they thought that would eliminate the issue that they had with him last year and this year he's just a much different quarterback that could just beat you from the pocket? I mean, I, I, maybe the mindset was, was look, we're going to make him beat us with his arm. Well, he kind of did. As opposed with his legs. And in the first half and into the third quarter, he was doing that. And so I think that was what was frustrating was that, okay, you've taken away his legs, but you have found no answer to take away his ability to make throws. Now, right, like, right, right. He made some NFL-type throws in that game that you're just going to have to shake his hand and give him, you know. Oh, a couple of those deep throws, man. Or, those or were spot on. The, I mean. The kid can spin it. But, and I think this has been. <laughs> you are so, I mean, you are the least hip dude out there. I swear to God. I got to have like the little Herb Street. You know, Herb Street does a little, he like flicks his hand or something. <laughs> he can spin it. You've mentioned this with McMichael and some other of our defensive backs. They cannot make plays on the football. They're in good position, but they just cannot Are play they, the though? ball. Because I feel like so many times this year they're we're getting we're having to come back and play from behind. Well in the terms other of we're not in we're not in the receiver's hips. The, the other night, no. There were a couple of plays like the one that he had in the game against Virginia Tech that I wanna say it was Trey Turner caught. Yeah. He was with them. He was there, but he just couldn't play the ball. And that happened to him multiple times. And I mean, like, look, sometimes year. the opponent makes a play. Right. But there's been too many times in three games where we're not even – it doesn't feel like it's a bet, It's it, – you know, in basketball, Mark Jackson is good off – you know, good defense, better offense. How many times has that really been the case with some of these plays? It doesn't seem as many – as well, not a lot of the completions. I, th- this is something they've got to eliminate because we saw this in the games against Virginia the last few years. We saw one game that I remember very that, that this game resembled a lot, which would be the only case that I would say might uh, allow people to not be as overly concerned. That game that they played in Mac Brown's return to Keenan Stadium against Miami, very similar game. Jaron Williams went up and down the field on them because he did what? Hit the intermediate and the deep passes on them. Now, Carolina recovered. My problem with this is, is we saw it against Georgia State, and there were some people that were in the building against Virginia Tech and said they saw similar things. There were lapses in coverage that guy, that, that quarterback simply missed. They've got to get that figured out. They, they're, and I don't know if that's a communication issue. I don't know what is going on. They have got to find solutions to that because, as you mentioned, I think I'm not as I'm not as concerned as I once was with having to face De'Ara King. Who knows if they'll even have to face him? The game that I'm most concerned about with that going forward is yeah, Sam Sam Hartman will pick that defense apart if they struggle. He did it last year against a defense that struggled right. like that. So, I mean, look, do you trust that? If your offense keeps it up, they could 
put up enough points to win that game still? Yes, but would you would you like to get into a game where you don't have to rely on your offense to put up 50 in order for you to have a chance to win the game? That's the point that you want to get to if you're Carolina. Now, the good news is, is I think if you go back and look at some of these defensive back units in past years where Carolina really struggled like this, didn't have as much talent as this group has now. You've got uh, Tony Grimes, who you know I think was beat really on one. Other than that, I thought he did a pretty good job throughout the night. Um, and then uh, you know Kyler McMichael. I mean, he's a solid guy. I think the thing is, is you're looking when can Storm Duck get fully healthy? Once he gets fully healthy, I think that's when you start feeling confident. But I'll tell you one thing: we saw the other night DeAndre Hollins, Day Day Hollins, was a big part of this secondary. He played hard. I think he could have helped them at times the other night, being able to pull guys out. Because as we saw the other night, we saw more of Storm Duck. He's still not 100% ready to go. So there were times where even after a big play, they had to just leave guys out there and say, well, we got to figure it out. Yeah, I think in just relative terms to Carolina football, there is no such thing as too much uh, depth in the defensive backfield. <laughs> and if the NCAA does grant the extra scholarships due to the COVID-19 pandemic, all DBs, all those scholarships should go to defensive back players because, you know, we, we thought at the beginning of the year we got too much depth and we didn't even get to October. We're like, it's what, every year. What I mean, are we, you know, is. how are we going to make it? But look, the, the simple solution is this. The best... The best pass defense since the forward pass was invented, which was invented illegally, they just threw it forward and said that's illegal, wow. is, a, is a pass rush. Well, so, thanks, for, thanks for that history lesson. So um, until Carolina can start yeah. getting home. Consistently. Well, consistently. They had moments the other night where they but, got in there. But moments but, can get you beat. You've got to right. be consistently creating Pressure. You don't even got to sack the quarterback. Well, see, that's the you got to create pressure, knockdowns, quarterback hits. Get that clock those in his types, head. Those speed types up. of things, though, at times can also be misleading because you could still get credit for a quarterback hit. Dude could still make a a, a throw that turns into a 20, 30 yard game. Right. So I think, and that now that didn't happen a lot the other night when they got pressure on Armstrong. That was – it was effective. They were able to get in there and cause issues. So, I think it's got to be more consistent. It's just – it's got to come from all different areas because there were – but that's – I mean, you saw it Really quick. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this was a big emphasis last year for Carolina creating pressure. Does blitzing the linebackers have to become more of just – and hoping your guys hold up on an island back out there? I'm going to be honest. I think they did it – quite a few times the other night I just don't think it was as effective I I said it to you in the stands the other night how much are we missing Chasserat's ability to rip through an offensive lineman seriously by the way my my uh my my preseason uh prediction for the breakout player being Eugene Asante saying that he would be better than Chasserat by season's end also not looking we're not waiting till the end of the season to review those predictions that's happening on the bye week that could be very very bad but I you know I thought I thought Jeremiah Gimmel would be able to thrive better in that role than he is right now. I didn't think he'd be as effective as Surratt. That was asking a lot. Chad Surratt was just that special of a guy. I I just, 
when he blitzed the other night, they did it a few times with them, and he just going in against those interior offensive linemen, which is where Chaz Surratt thrived last year. He just didn't. He couldn't find a way to get past him. I, I don't know if, if it's just that he's not as strong as Surratt. I think the, the other thing, maybe he's just not as crazy as Surratt was. <laughs> um, I, but, yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely missing that. If they could find that guy, and I don't know, is that Power Eccles? Maybe that's him, but I don't know how much you're going to really want to play him. And at this point, are you taking Jeremiah Gimmel off the field for – a true freshman in power records, which you're not sure what you're going to get. That's the thing. I think it's more of even when you do blitz, which I think you still have to do, create those one-on-one matchups, you've got to have guys that consistently went up front. You're de- you're, the guys that are classified as defensive linemen and edge rushers have to win more. There's no other way to put it. You have got to be able win. to get into that backfield and sack guys. It's I mean, if you're going to get there, because there were other there were times the other night Carolina was there and they missed a the tackle. Oh, he gets outside the yeah. box, makes a play. You've got to be able to make those plays when they're there, and it can't be one guy. Because the other night it was Cayman Rucker, and that was really it. Other guys provide pressure. But you've got to be able to bring the quarterback down more consistently, especially when you start facing some of these quarterbacks later on in the year that you could potentially have to face. So I think that this is the thing that I think is so frustrating with it is that you know the talent's there. Well, you believe the talent's there. Well, no. The, I mean, Sometimes that talent ta- don't translate. To me, that look – you don't bring in that many four- and five-star guys and the talent's not there. Well, the then, talent is there. Then the issue is the coaching and the scheme. Potentially. And do you – we spent the whole Larry Fedora era trying to find different ways to get competent defensively. In the first two weeks, Carolina looked competent, but you were playing Virginia Tech and Georgia State, and then against Virginia all of a sudden – you know, you ain't stopping anybody. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they respond against Georgia Tech. If Georgia Tech moves the ball up and down the field and this turns into a track meet, then I think you've got to take a hard look and maybe you got to start having sub packages for Power Eccles and Rara Delworth, those guys that you know are you're counting on to make plays next year. You may have to ask something from them this year because – you gotta, you, you're got you going to have to start getting more creative yeah. in some of the looks that you're giving guys in terms of the blitz packages that you're running because when they blitzed last year, that's what allowed them to finish, what was it, I think fourth or fifth in the country in sacks? Do you – was Jay Bateman's defense helped by the fact that the offense Army ran? And – while, oh, I don't while, doubt. I don't doubt while it, that. You know, he he may he may be an he may be a great X and O's guy, and he may know how to scheme a great defense. But he had an offense that held the ball for forty minutes. His defense never got tired, and all that. Well, I think the other thing is is that look, his defense I think is one of those that you just have to kind of admit to yourself at some point they are going to be hit and miss. And to be honest with you, how many defenses in college football aren't hit and miss? You've got what? Clemson, Georgia, Georgia, Alabama. Penn State to start the year. Penn State to start this year. Pretty legit. And most years, Ohio State. Outside of those, is there a defense that every single week you know shows up and plays tremendous? That UConn defense, they miss every time. 
Well, they, yeah. So they, at least they're consistently missing. Is Vic Coning coaching them? <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. We, <laughs> um, I, 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 but that's my thing. I there are a lot of people that are very, very critical of Jay Bateman, and I get it in games like this where it's very frustrating. But I think. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'll put it like this. I wouldn't be shocked if this defense comes out this week and holds Georgia Tech to 150 yards total. I, I mean, that's the. it's just this is going to happen. And I think part of it is also you've got to give credit to Robert and I and, and Virginia for drawing up a good game plan. But I think that there are definitely some adjustments that have to be made in game, and they've got to be able to figure some of these out. Um I'm just – I know there are a lot of people that are very critical of him. There were a lot of people that wanted him gone. I, I saw some guy in one of the Facebook groups, and this is why I hate Facebook. I seriously hate Facebook. I, I'm in it because I post into the groups for you guys. Most of the people that are watching the podcast right now are probably watching in one of the groups. Talking to I, our audience I had on a, Facebook that we hate. Well, no, no, no. The I platform. No, that. not the people that watch. <laughs> I'm pretty certain this guy doesn't watch because sure. he would be in there talking – uh, probably commenting about this the entire night. There was a man in this group, and if he does watch the podcast, please stop watching the podcast. Oh, God. He wanted Dre Bly fired. I, I, do you realize if you don't have Dre Bly, a majority of the current recruiting class that you have, not there. Tony Grimes, not there. Uh, Big-time targets in the state of Virginia that you have, like Zach Rice, George Petaway. No chance they're committing to Carolina. And the recruiting pipeline in the 757 is completely gone. It's my area code. Also, did you not watch how good guys like Tony Grimes and Storm Duck looked in their freshman seasons when they were forced into bigger roles? There are going to be ebbs and flows with certain guys in the defensive backfield. I am nowhere near out on Dre Bly. That is the most ludicrous crap that I have heard in a long time. Yeah. Firing Dre Bly is not the answer. Um, So to even have that opinion, that's probably like the worst opinion I've heard. Since I, mean, I watched first take six hours ago. Look, there's overreactions, and then there's whatever the hell that is. I, I don't – that's not even an overreaction. That is literally just being stupid because I I don't under – like, he he's a guy that even if he isn't the greatest X's and O's guy, as long as he's he on your staff enough, to recruit, as long as he's good enough coaching his position, which he has been to this point. Yeah. There is no way that you even think about getting rid of him. Um, so I think that's that the people want to overreact to these types of performances. Remember last year what the defense looked like after that performance against Wake Forest. Hmm. They came back and looked really good the rest of the year until they wore down in that game against Texas A&M. So I think that's – let's see how this defense responds. I would not be shocked if they come out – and play really well against Georgia Tech and against Duke. And look, I understand that you would look and say, well, those two teams really aren't all that great. But that's what makes the sign of a defense that's improving. Right. That they can limit the opportunities that offense, those offenses have. Because, look, every offense in, the, in, in college football outside of, like, three – can move the football because of the nature of the way we play the game now. It's an offensive-driven game. Right. 
so if in La Carolina, if, if if they can start correcting things, you get three at home. You know, now's the time to fix all this stuff because that November is going to be pretty tough. So the last thing I didn't put it on the sheet here, but I think this is worth talking about here just really quickly. When you talk about how big this win is for Carolina, we were harping on it in the preview. I mean, what does this win mean for Carolina football? Because I said it. I think that if they didn't win this game, the direction of the program was kind of up in the air. To me, this keeps you going in the direction that you're hoping. And I still think right now, with what we're looking at in the ACC Coastal, this is a Carolina team that should win the ACC Coastal and should be in Charlotte in December. Yeah, I think if Carolina lost the game, and I know you're coming off an Orange Bowl appearance and all that stuff from last year. I think you were sitting at a crossroads of saying, where is Carolina football going under Mac Brown? Mm-hmm. And I think that was a legitimate question, a, le- a legitimate concern that we would have been sitting here having had Carolina gotten beat. I think the win allows you to still think this thing is going in the right direction. You're still doing a lot of things great off the football field. You're recruiting as well as you've ever done. You're you, you're bringing in more money and all and on, on all that stuff. But all that Matt, all, all the that leads to you got to win on the football field. And so now the expectation is back. Right. Or now the expectation is to be back in Charlotte and, and to compete for an ACC championship. Um, and so I think that's what that win allowed that to happen. Um, and so it felt good to beat Virginia. I think uh, I think Mac Brown maybe undersold the rivalry himself when he first got back. Remember it was beat Duke, beat NC State. Right. And But you lost twice to Virginia, and you look at both those losses, and they kept you out of comp- playing an ACC championship game. So I think you're bringing back the importance of that rivalry. Um, and so I think right now we're back to where we were at the beginning of the season where we feel really, really good about this team and the program that Mac Brown's leading. And honestly, it's got the feel of that 2015 season. That's what you're hoping for is that that first loss kind of reset everything. The expectations are now you know back for Carolina, but you're hoping that they're able to handle it. And I think this was one of those games where coming in, you were an eight-point favorite. People had expectations that you were going to win this game, and you lived up to expectations, and you won this game, and you covered. You know what they say, good teams win, but great teams cover. That's right. That's right. So, um, and, yeah, as you mentioned, the environment was great. We also saw uh, you know, a few people that uh, we know, we li- yeah. that listen to the pod, that uh, read some of the articles online. That, that was the neatest part of the whole w- entire night. Wanted to night. shout out some of those. Of course, our guy Stevie D's who sits in front of us, uh, he was having himself a grand old time. He he was extremely excited. Uh, seriously, he's one of our favorite fans. He, we've been, yeah. He's been sitting in front of us now. Um, I almost count last year, even so. We, we weren't there, but I feel like there were a couple of times. He was there. We, we were there in spirit I, I together. I feel like we were watching at home, and we could hear Stevie D's yelling, Get up, Eels! Get up, Eels! <laughs> so, uh, and then Mitchell Jones, who's a guy that uh, has been our, uh, my Facebook friend for a long time. Uh, he has been a Big-time supporter of uh, the podcast, of the articles, everything Neil Tough blog. Uh, great to see him. He was actually sitting just a couple of seats in front of us. And then I, I failed to catch this guy's name who came over and said that he recognized our voices as well. I actually did recognize our, our mugs as well. Poor guy. Um, and he said uh, – he, he he gave us uh, he he gave us the COVID dap up, yeah. uh, as they say, and uh, you know it was great. It, you know he he said he really appreciated everything.
everything, and, and that was great. Um, I, unfortunately, we didn't catch his name. If you're watching, we really appreciate that. Uh, next time when you come up, tell us your name. Yeah. <laughs> go, ahead and, go ahead and leave with that. We'd really appreciate that. But uh, it's awesome seeing all of these great Tar Heel fans out there that we know. And that's, that's always one of the coolest things is when you see fans that you know out there that you've interacted with on social media that watch you know the podcast, that listen to the podcast, that read the articles. It's always great. If you see us out there, please come up and say hi to us. We love it. It's awesome. Um, and we we want to talk Tario football with you because yeah. that's what we're there for. I mean, the entire pregame, uh, sometimes like we were watching the Alabama-Florida game, admittedly, before the game. But there was another time where we were talking about the guys that were out injured, what we needed to do. I mean, we have basically a pregame show <laughs> up in Section 220 in our seats. So yeah. come up, say what's up to us. We'd really appreciate it. One other thing really quickly, uh, Bradley Clayton, who's a guy that listens to the podcast very often, uh, he did want to comment. He said, I uh, don't normally comment on these things, but my goodness, the man that said that Dre Bly needs to be fired must be a Duke fan. We are lucky to have Dre Bly. I couldn't agree more, Bradley, and we really appreciate you. We see you on here every week, man. You're one of the loyal guys, and we really appreciate you uh, watching and listening to the podcast, reading the articles, all that kind of stuff. So uh, that'll uh, wrap it up for our look at the game recap. We'll hand out our player of the game really quickly here. This one's the toughest one that we've had in a long time. I'm going to be honest with you. This was like Sophie's choice. I, I, I don't know which one of these three to pick. You've got a guy in Sam Howell that became just the second quarterback in 17 years to throw for 300 and rush for 100 in back-to-back games. Also has five total touchdowns in back-to-back games. You have Josh Downs, eight catches, 203 yards, two touchdowns in this game, was just absolutely dynamic, huge boost for Carolina. And as we mentioned, this is the third straight year Carolina's had a receiver over 200 yards receiving against Virginia. Yep. And then you've got Ty Chandler, 20 carries, 198 yards, two touchdowns, career performance from him, the transfer, of course, uh, from Tennessee, who had a long career there. We went with Ty Chandler. It was a tough decision. But I think one of the things that weighed in, and you're right, and we've harped on this so much, this is one of the main things that you've talked about uh, really since even before last year, but definitely since last year. When this offense is at its best, it's when they can run the football. This is – Ty Chandler was – probably the main reason Carolina won this game because if you take Ty Chandler out of this game, clearly Sam Howell has to throw more. I think if Ty Chandler doesn't play the way that he played in this game, Carolina clearly doesn't win by 20, and if he plays the way that he did in the first couple of games, Carolina loses this game. Yeah, I think that's pretty evident. That's why um, you asked me who we were going with, and and I voiced my opinion and went Ty Chandler, because there are going to be other opportunities for a Sam Howell and Josh Sam already won one last week. You know, to get a player of the game award. Um, And there may be more chances for Chandler down the road, but this one felt important, and the way Carolina wore them down in the second half led by Ty Chandler is the reason why he got the award this week. So that wraps it up for our look back at the Virginia game here on the podcast. 
Uh, by the time this is up, everything will be up from the Virginia week as well. So that means you can go back, check out the Virginia recap where we give you our takeaways from the game. Uh, some really interesting stuff in there. You guys definitely want to check that out. Uh, we've also got uh, the trench report. Josh goes in, takes a look at uh, the guys down low, takes a look at that offensive line that had its best performance of the season, takes a look at that defensive line that had you know a guy in Cayman Rucker step up, but it's still maybe needing to get a little more consistent pressure up front he gives you a look at that at, at the trenches that's his spot he loves it down there so of course uh he, he's been keeping you guys up to date on that make sure you check that out and then the stock report we're going to tell you who's trending up who's trending down uh, some of the units as well are in there so definitely go and check that out uh on the website as well as that definitely carries over uh into the game against georgia tech uh some guys will come in hot some guys will come in cold and try to bounce back against the yellow jackets uh we'll have you covered on the uh on the georgia tech front uh carolina it's a 7:30 kickoff if you are trying to go to the game I would believe there are still tickets available. Yes. I don't think there's really going to be all that many people there, unfortunately. Um, but uh, it is in the Mercedes-Benz Dome down in Atlanta. Uh, please, if you guys are you know interested, make the trip down there. Uh, Carolina could definitely use the support without a doubt down there uh, for this game against Georgia Tech. Uh, and it'll be a pretty cool environment. The team was supposed to be there at the start of last year. Unfortunately, due to COVID, they did not get to play uh, the chosen one, Bo Nix and the Auburn Tigers down there. We were extremely excited about that possibility. Uh, but this year they get to go down there, interestingly enough, for a conference game. And uh, Carolina looking to uh, continue the recent success that they've had against Georgia Tech. Also, the first time they've played Georgia Tech since two years ago. It was them and Pittsburgh last year that they did not play. Um, so make sure that you guys are tuned in. 7.30 ACC Network if you guys are watching from home. And, of course, our friends over on on the Tar Heel Sports Network, Jones Angel, uh, as well as Lee Pace, uh, Adam Lucas on the pregame, Brian Simmons, all those guys will be on the call for you guys on uh, on Saturday night. So make sure you guys check that out. Uh, we have some big stuff coming up recruiting-wise for the Tar Heels. We'll have a preview going up of George Petaway's commitment. Um, that will be up for you guys to read. It should be up on the website right now. Make sure that you guys go and check that out. We will also break down his commitment, uh, whether it is to Carolina or anywhere else. This is a big one for the Tar Heels. They really want to land this guy. They've been on him for a while. He's another guy that is just a dynamic four-star running back that would fit this system very, very well, would be a great piece alongside of the, the running back the Toriels currently have committed in the class in four-star running back Amari and Hampton. So that's one the Toriels really want to lock up. We'll tell you whether or not they are going to. And then, of course, after it, tell you whether they did or did not and go from there. We'll have that for you. Podcast side of things, it'll be me and Zach Hubbard breaking down that commitment. Don't know if we're going to be able to get a commitment preview in there, but uh, we will definitely break down his commitment whichever way it goes uh, for you here later on this week. So make sure that you guys are keeping an eye out for that. Best place to check out all of that stuff is on Facebook. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page at Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. Uh, and you'll get the video podcast, which we're doing right now. Uh, you know, really appreciate you guys uh, going, you know, been sticking with us through the live versions, even the ones that haven't been live. You guys have done a great job. You've loved them, and we're so glad that we're back on camera and able to bring that to you guys from our studio, uh, which is uh, just a much better setup than upstairs at my house. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But we really appreciate that. If you're a listener to the podcast, definitely appreciate you as well. Make sure that if you're listening to the podcast and you're not subscribed yet, you are subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast, including now on Megaphone and over on the Pigskin Podcast Network. We are so glad to be associated with those guys as well. Um, we are looking forward to a, uh, a long and happy relationship on that podcast network uh, with everybody over there. Uh, make sure you guys follow us on our social media handles. Uh, follow uh, us at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Also make sure to follow our personal accounts at HTB Anthony for me, at HTB Josh for Josh, and at Hack Zubber 2 for Zach Hubbard. This is the week you definitely want to be following him as Petaway closes in on his commitment. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. <laughs>